My name is Michael Strumsky, and this is my podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. Each episode, I'll interview a person with a different background to try to understand what circumstances, family, or tragedy has made them into the individual they are today. Enjoy. Josh and I used to work together, um, and then he moved on to Greener Pastures, which is probably a good move. Like a very good move, in my opinion, because you didn't have to deal with me anymore and <laughs> everybody else. Uh, but yeah, you're originally from Virginia, right? That's right. Okay. And, but you've been all around the place, like Iowa, South Africa, like... I've done a little traveling, um, probably not as, not as much as a lot of people I know, but um, a lot of people I know haven't been to South Africa uh, I lived in Iowa for four or five years. Other than that, it's mostly been in Virginia, though. But the main point I looked at from your travel was you had like a like a purpose. Like you went to South Africa for training, right? Oh, uh, I went to South Africa or for school. Yeah, it was it was study abroad. It was more of um, it wasn't necessarily something that I was. The, the focus of the program in South Africa wasn't something that I was necessarily focused on in school, but it was something that I was interested in. Um, the program was called People, Culture, and Environment of South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like I said, that's something I had an interest in, but wasn't particularly relevant to my major. So it was a, it was a good opportunity to bring together the opportunity for some additional life experience and travel. And you know, curiosity and the subject of the environment. But, uh, so you have, if I remember correctly, you've got a sis, you just have a sister, right? Two sisters. Two sisters. Yeah. Okay. I feel like you only mentioned yeah. one sister, but maybe you're talking, it's hard to understand that because I'm only child. So when you say my sister, mm-hmm. I just assume that there's one sister. Yeah. Yeah. And that's stupidly me because <laughs> it's like, I never have to refer to people. It's right, like yeah. my mom and dad and then my dog. Right. But, uh, um, so you had two sisters growing up. What, what was like the age? Like you're, you have an older sister and a younger sister. They're, they're both younger. Okay. Yeah. Um, one is year and a half. One is oh my god. I don't. I don't, I don't even know how much younger she is. Maybe seven years. Okay. She's got. She's gonna fuck. She's gonna die if she hears this. But what what was like the family dynamic like? Um. I would say pretty traditional i mean my sister rachel we're so close in age that you know we could kind of be friends once it got to high school that was a little bit different we started to go our separate ways but growing up you know you always have someone relatively close in age that you can that you can uh you know relate to uh my other sister being younger she was like you know the the pest that would chase around the older kids kind of thing mm-hmm. but um yeah i would say it's pretty pretty traditional okay nothing nothing out of the ordinary i gotcha did you have any idea what you i guess wanted to move towards i always liked art when i was a kid um and and it's it's pretty i think it's pretty standard stuff for or, you know cliche even for a kid to grow up and think I want to design video games when I get older but that was that was what I thought um, 
So I was always I was always into comic books. I was always into drawing my own comics. Uh, buddy of mine, I want to say we were probably in third grade, second or third grade. We we took uh, a bunch of sheets of computer paper and we just drew levels to this video game that we had made up. So we just had maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 sheets of paper. Each one was a um, overhead overhead view style. Like, um, imagine something like Galaga or mm-hmm. um, any of those overhead shooters. So we had mapped out all the levels, all the bosses, all the enemies, all the weapons you could get. We packaged it up sent it to Nintendo <laughs> you know with a with a message like hey can you you know develop our video game and it was pretty cool they actually sent they actually sent something back where did you send it by the way i'm just curious if you sent it to a us or a uh, japanese right not japanese you yeah. know i have i have no idea where we sent it or how they got it but it was i mean the the letter came back with official you know, Nintendo stationery. Mm-hmm. I'm sure my mom has it somewhere. It was cool to get a, an actual response, though. I mean, when you're... When you get older, you you wouldn't expect someone to take the time to reply to you. Um, and honestly, we we fully expected the game to be, de- to, to be developed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so... I mean, I guess we were expecting to get something back. We were a little bit disappointed that the answer wasn't, yeah, we'll put it into production right away. How, how quickly? How, how much money do you want? How quickly did you uh, get it back, though? I'm not sure. I, I want, this was so long ago now that I'm not sure, but I want to say that we had sent it out and we're kind of disappointed that our game wasn't developed and already in production. And then... <laughs> And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, something arrives in the mail. I love you know? the part you said already in production. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have the imagery of them. I guess back then whiteboards wasn't a thing, but they get the chalkboard out. Right. It's, now that I think of it, was chalkboards even a thing for like uh, you know? I'm thinking of like 1993 and like boardrooms. Like I, what I, was the thing? I imagine Nintendo was maybe a little bit more advanced than everybody else, but possibly. I right. mean. It came up in, uh, what's that called? Uh, not 8-pixel, eight 8-bit eight eight uh, screen yeah, right. just showing um, Mario just, like, they have little tasks and just banging bricks every time <laughs> you complete it. I can see that. But, but yeah, know, that's pretty good, I mean. Yeah, it was a cool experience. I don't think I'd ever send out something like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, it, would be, it would be really fun to go back and read it now, but... Essentially, it said something like, you have no idea how much effort it makes to make a, a video game. Like, in much nicer terms, it was sort of like, you don't just, you know, spend a few days drawing and out comes a video game. Yeah. It's like when you're a kid, you don't know what's happening behind the scenes. It's right. like... uh it's like people who want to become firefighters or astronauts. They don't look at the videos of them when you're an astronaut overcoming the G's. Right. Like 
becoming unconscious like yeah. they're rigorous like you look at like everything you look at the candy coated stuff like right you, right like playing golf on the moon yeah you like know what i mean the like, most idealized version of it but the funny thing is i think if you ask all those people oh maybe not the people <laughs> jumping on the moon best part is actually the journey like what they did to get there right well and like i said the astronauts they probably thought it was amazing to play golf on the moon or just like hop yeah. on the moon or except for the one guy di- didn't I, I i was just reading about this or listening to it on a podcast there was like one guy had to stay in the pod while they were out there golfing he goes all the way to the moon i think i think this was part of uh bill burr's most recent bill burr maybe i'm not sure but there's essentially one dude who was in the pod someone collins and just watching that's so sad play golf. how do you even like that's kind of like when you leave your dog and you go for a i can't say it because my dog's right here because he'll get up and get excited but it's like looking through the window and just like he's like clawing at the window that he wants <laughs> to come outside right that's so sad that's like yeah. I mean, I could have my facts completely wrong. I, well, that's... I, I frequently mean, do, but... Even if that's true, that's the worst FOMO that has ever existed. Yeah. Like, the only second worst one that could ever happen is somebody leaves you and... Right. They go to Mars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's the only worst thing that could ever happen. Like, oh, the aliens, they want us to come, but they, they said they don't want anybody who's taller than six foot, so sorry. <laughs> right. But, uh... Just to touch back on... I guess you go through your jobs because I know you've worked like a ton of jobs and uh, if you can actually talk about your uh, throw in your Hobby Lobby story let's see because um, I feel like that's a good origin story because you're nothing like that story right now I I want to say that was my first official job with a W tutor and I I didn't enjoy it and I was I was trying to stay focused. I was trying to do my part. You know, I, I guess my parents raised me to have some sort of uh, some sort of feeling of responsibility to to do the right thing, to do the job that you're tasked to do. But I started showing up late all the time. I would be at my friend's house after school or or what age the, was this like 16 weekend. or 17 this was probably freshman freshman in high school so maybe like 14 15 yeah were they pushing you to get the job my parents no uh-uh. i just i just wanted the extra spending money gotcha but you know you're hanging out with your friends and you're used to doing that and then you look at your watch and it's time to go to work, and it's hard to get up and do it. And do you still feel like that? No, no. I mean, sometimes, yeah. But, but not this level of. It, it's it. It wasn't a. It wasn't a career. But you were basically a kid then too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like you're yeah, yeah. fifteen years old. I mean, I worked at, I worked at Safeway as a bag boy, yeah. and I worked my way up to cashier. But, uh, you know, I had. I I started to sort of slack on getting there on time. I started to slack on doing what I was supposed to do. And one day I showed up to work and one of my coworkers was like, "Oh yeah, you just missed whoever the manager was." Jane. And uh I was like, "Oh. 
well, what what do you, what do you think that was about? She was like, oh, I don't know. She she probably knew. Yeah, what it was about. yeah, yeah. But uh, it turns out the next time I showed up, I had gotten to work so late that my boss, who was going to fire me when I showed up, had to go home. She's just like, I, I can't I can't wait for him any longer to show up. I have to go home. But she was gonna <laughs> fire me, so I didn't get fired because I was so late to work but uh i showed up i showed up that next day or the the next time i saw her she's like and i at this point i i knew that i would i was gonna get fired and so i walked in there and i was like uh i'm gonna go ahead and put in my my two weeks notice and she's like no 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 uh uh-uh, that's not how this works you're fired well you know i think i think on some level she was she was ready to get the uh, the enjoyment of letting me go, and wasn't wasn't about to let me get the satisfaction of saying that I quit first. But technically, you quit then. Technically, if, if we're looking at it from yeah, a yeah. legal, I mean, yeah. If, if if I took this to court, yeah. So that similarly happened to me at Safeway because basically, at the store I was at, it was in Cloverly. Mm-hmm. which is kind of not the best area. Mm-hmm. So basically people were giving discounts to like all their friends and stuff like right, that. Right. And then at, at some point they were trying to clear out people. Mm-hmm. So they would go to the videos and I, I had never like given discounts cause n- no friends would come see me anyways. Right. So basically they were trying <laughs> to get me to, they showed me a video of something like I must've messed up or something like that. So they were trying to fire me. And so I was like, you have no proof, uh, but I'll resign as long as you don't fire. Because the thing is, like, they got the unions in, like, yeah. they got union reps. And I was like, I'm literally 16. Uh, like, I don't care that much about this job. And then so like, I quit that. I went to Blockbuster. Oh, I love Blockbuster. Nice. Except nice. for they would try to sell you. Like, big step up. It was a big step because yeah. I could rent movies, and I loved movies. And this was, like, the time where you Netflix wasn't a thing. Yeah, Like, yeah. Netflix was, like you send four disc back people don't understand that like yeah who yeah. are this is <sighs> i have, my my mom has a friend who still does the mails to discs which is just crazy in this time i love that yeah that's so funny yeah. like if i saw something like that it would make me feel nostalgic to see that little red envelope yeah. coming in because i wonder what's I, I guess you don't know what the the pricing is on that but i would imagine it's I don't. I'm. I'm. I'm shocked that they. I mean. No, no, no. Yeah. I. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't require a lot of effort. Maybe they don't pay whoever these people are. Yeah. Very much, but it seems they're getting like shipped from India it would or be something a waste like that. Of money. It's just we grew up with it. You know what I mean. Whereas yeah. they grew up where uh, phone calls was like a big thing. Yeah. Right. Because when I get a phone call, it's like hit or miss if I know the person. But back then, it was like if somebody's calling you, it's important. You know what I mean? Like. Right. And I think that's why they get so anxious when the phone rings. Uh-huh. And it's like, is it spam? Or is it like my long lost friend calling me? You know what I mean? Like phones are what, I don't know. I can't really compare it to today. Well, I think I, I was, <laughs> I, I hate the way it sounds when I said I was reading or I was listening to a podcast. But anyway. Why does that sound bad? I don't know. It just, it's just like, I was reading that. Like every, everything I say, it seems like. 75% of the things that I say start with I was reading that well or, I mean you're I, I don't think that's bad at all because it's 
you're not sounding bad. It's you're making an observation based on someone else's opinion. Yeah. And you're taking it in and you're, I never want to become rigid in my opinion. So yeah. keep going. Yeah. I, I, I could, I could take, I could take that. Yeah. Um, but I was reading that people genuinely have anxiety that revolves around answering their cell phone now. Like, it's a it's a situation that they don't want to be in. Like, a they don't they don't want to be trapped. Well, I don't I don't know the exact reasons for the anxiety, but they don't want to be trapped on the phone. They don't want to have to, you know, figure out how to socialize on the phone. It's just a it's just sort of a it's a I, I suppose there's a, de- a degree of skill to socializing on the phone that a lot of people don't feel like they have anymore mm-hmm. or never learned yeah it's just funny the generational it's just like it i'm trying to think what theirs was to their grandparents i think it was probably the phone like yeah. they were like my my grandparent probably didn't really know how to use the phone especially like new features like i can't imagine when uh caller id came out mm-hmm. or like star 69 they're like you can find out who called. You know right. what I mean? It's just so funny how technology completely changes our anxiety. Right. Like us being near our phones, you know what I mean? Like it's just like, ah, oh, who notified me? Well, I think my I think my grandfather who just recently passed away, when he was growing up, they had um I think they're called gang lines, but mm-hmm. essentially all of the telephone lines are connected to each other. Mm-hmm. So when you oh, pick are up, you talking about like with the women? No, it's just that it's just like I don't know what the electronics term would be, but the they were in series. Okay. Is that what it would be? So anyway, all the lines are you know, you pick up the phone, you get a dial tone. Anyone can pick up their phone, they would all get the same dial tone. It it it's just like it's just like if you pick up the phone upstairs and someone else picks it up downstairs, you can like yeah. that's that's how the phones in their in their little neighborhood. Oh, set. you're saying on a large because I was like that's how I was raised. Like yeah, yeah. that's how I got away with. Uh, like if I got trouble at school, I yeah. just turn on the internet, yeah. and there's no way they would call. <laughs> and I had my mom's login for her email, so I would just write back the teacher and be like, uh, "Yeah, we'll 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 discipline him," and then it was done with. God, you gotta love being like a step ahead of your parents (laughs) in technology which i hope my children are not a step ahead you spoke on your first job what are some other jobs that kind of i guess not steered you but made you a better person change your perspective anything on those lines all right so we think there's a craft store then there is there were temp agencies just filing papers awful i think that was one of my second jobs and i think the friend's house that i was leaving from to go to work at the craft store and always being late i think their parents got me this job at the temp agency but that was also what is a temp agency like um well i i guess it i guess it depends in in my mind it's typically cleric sort of clerical work um I like I said I was I think I was at I want to say I was at some sort of legal firm or maybe even his dad's 
some branch of his dad's firm just filing, mm-hmm. you know, things alphabetically. Okay. It was awful. like a filler, basically. Yeah, it was not fun. Um, let's see. Worked it. Worked at a grocery store. That was awful. I was I was working in the freezer. Oh, I've done that. That's yeah. the worst part because yeah. you've got to look at the the codes yeah. and make sure you have the exact banquet meal that's going in there. Salisbury steak or uh, it was yeah. Not, done that. I thought it was gonna be fun. Yeah, but it's just like it's like laundry. It's it'll never be finished. Right, <laughs> and it's and and I was always rushing. There weren't enough people, and I just felt like I was under constant pressure were you doing like frozen meals like me like no no it was it was um or actually it wasn't the freezer it was it was just cold storage essentially it was it was dairy you know eggs i was always envious of the dairy stacker because you've got like you can just hang out in the back of the milk like it's cold it, it is cold but it's better than shoveling like cold french fries yeah, yeah, and like yeah because yeah. you don't think your hands are gonna hurt yeah but when you're consistently yeah, doing yeah. it it's the worst no no i get it milk get is it. a lot easier because the temperature yeah. is lower and then you just chill in the milk container well sometimes i would have to to like sort the the frozen the frozen foods and even just for a short amount of time i couldn't i don't think my circulation is is good yeah so. it was probably the worst stacking job ever like every every other job but it was better pay than yeah, like yeah. checking and basically being the uh bag boy yeah because bag boy is just degrading to be fair i mean yeah yeah i i guess i guess they, they do kind of get that you're thinking more of the freedom of the yeah bag boy, yeah though. the freedom hey like, how's it going like get in the carts cleaning the toilets you know Collecting the tips on the side. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The uh, the <laughs> vast amount of tips I would get. No. Well, so speaking of other jobs, when I was, I worked at Verizon for four years. That was my. I do like your Verizon stories. You that used was, to tell. Yeah. That was probably my longest stint at a job. And that was, that was a job that, I mean, you know, in all fairness, it could have become a career, um, but I didn't like working outdoors in the in the winter mm-hmm. like i said I, I i think i just i don't have a good tolerance for cold because mm-hmm. my hands don't but um <laughs> that's it, why you bring it up yeah it paid well it had it had great insurance but when i i mean it was only a four three or four year span but early on i was gung-ho i didn't have any problem climbing a telephone pole or going on someone's roof but then as i decided that maybe this wasn't my career long term you start to think a lot more about well what if i fall off this roof or fall off this telephone pole yeah because how old were you like in your 20s this was just after undergrad okay um but i was gonna say that when i was working for verizon you're in someone else's home and so they feel like i mean they feel like they they are in a sense in charge and a, a lot of people don't they're not they're not quickly willing to accept no for an answer when you're a guest in their their home and some of them probably also see you as you know just labor or help yeah you know? but um 
I had I would have people offer me food, and they would be visibly irritated if I would turn the food down. You know, like and some of it was even cultural. Like this one, this one woman, I think she was from somewhere in West Africa. When I said I didn't want it, she, you know, she was pretty offended. I had a guy one time um, offered me a tip at the end of the job, and we weren't supposed to accept tips. Yeah. And so I was like, look, I, I can't accept a tip. It's against company policy. And he literally, I had a little pocket in my shirt. He literally forced the money into my, <laughs> into my shirt pocket. Like, I'm not, I'll just accept the money. You know, it's not worth it to... Yeah, it's not worth it to fight this man over... Yeah. What was it, like 5 or $10? Like, to rip the money out of my pocket and throw it on the floor in front of him. Like, I'm not going to do that. So. Yeah. But yeah, that was... Verizon was an interesting one. Why'd you, why'd you leave Verizon? It, well, you kind of touched that. Because um, you didn't want to be on a roof. Yeah, I, I just... M- more than anything, if... So some of the some of the telecoms work was predominantly residential, predominantly indoors. So yeah, being in a being in an attic that's 120 degrees, you know, being on a telephone pole when it's 25 degrees outside. Well, the funny it, thing is, the attic is never like it's always either too hot or too cold. It's never never been in a perfect temperature attic. No. No, the attic is a, uh, yeah, not a climate controlled environment, and it's you know it's it's cramped. Like I had a panic attack one time. I was on the inside of the house, crawling towards the outside of the house, so like towards the gutter, mm-hmm. and I, and obviously it's tapering. It's getting closer and closer, and then I realized that I was in this really tight corner, and had to. I couldn't turn around. You had easily. to walk backwards on yeah. the joist. So I was basically. just like in this really tight spot. I mean, I've I've worked with people who have like their foot has literally gone through the ceiling, <laughs> and the the customer has like been in the bathroom or in the kitchen <laughs> or something, and they just see an employee's foot come through their roof. You know, so that's funny. I mean, that's not why I quit, but. There were there were lots of hazards and it you know it was it was not always uh, pleasant work but the main thing was being cold and being hot you know and I just didn't want to do that for is there anything you would learn from that job besides the actual I mean it troubleshooting wise and maybe 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 I liked the job because I already had troubleshooting skills but. Every job was a puzzle, you know. Someone's phone isn't working or someone's TV isn't working or someone's internet isn't working. You know, you see how few questions does it take you to figure out what the problem is, you know. And and it's amazing like how how when you start off how long it takes to diagnose a problem and then after a while like you could walk in and like see someone's fingernails are dirty and be like I know what the problem is, you know. So, I don't know if you baited me on that comment, but I know when you first took the uh, Enneagram test, you got type 5, like the uh, house or the, uh, it's called the the problem solver, basically. Uh And you just explained that story kind of 
fit it to a T. Yeah. In my opinion. And and usually I like riddle off how like the people who are also associated with the Enneagram. And most of the time it's always like the worst possible people. Uh uh-huh. like but right here, I mean you've got Buddha, Albert Einstein, <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, uh I mean these are all good people in my the other ones you can tell i'm stupid because i don't know a lot of these people wait what is this is this my specific this is pattern yeah. or just the problem solver uh it's your pattern as well like for example um just to go over um basic fear is being useless helpless or incapable um your basic desire is to be capable and competent um you want to possess knowledge to understand the environment, to have everything figured out as a way of defending the cell from threats from the environment. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty much it. When my wife first told me about this, uh, she would I I thought it was just like not voodoo, but like something like essential oils or like yeah. this is stuff you see in 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 the side of your web page if you're on a. Uh, not the credible right, website. Right, right, right. Yeah, the clickbait. And obviously, I don't think this is like um, exact, but the stuff they kind of explain, it's it's kind of close to what it is. Because um, you would think with the questions that they ask, like you would think, because I, I think of it like when they ask you the questions, are you trying to answer as well, the way you think you are? Right. You know what I mean? Because the way people see you is how you're going to answer. But I guess they've done this enough times where the right, question matches right. actually what yeah. the person is like yeah the test is the test is supposed to account for that i've i'm i'm a little ashamed to say that i got a, got caught up in the johnny depp amber heard <laughs> thing and i was i was looking at um <laughs> i was listening to the you're uh, gonna tell me that like you uh wanted to solve the puzzle on I'm, how to get to i have the exact same enneagram as amber heard no but uh like the the psychologist was talking about how you know how i think she used the word clever amber heard was but the test is designed to like enough people have taken the test that it accounts for clever people you know yeah. clever people answer the test in a certain way i mean just to like dumb it down yeah. completely when i tell people like enneagrams and it, your your type basically says that you want people to see that you're doing good stuff like that's mm-hmm. how you feed and i'm like how do i tell that to people right and not be like offending them you know what i mean like yeah but maybe that's their type like they're fine with that like yeah. they've come to terms with that right like these are the people whose linkedin like they keep consistent with their linkedin like they like stuff on other people's pages they like get certification you know what i mean like those type of people and it's hard for me to like say that without because i guess i overthink it i don't know yeah i i get that i mean you don't you don't want to offend someone yeah you know i mean and it's i think it's pretty rare that you find someone that isn't looking for some sort of acceptance you know Mm -hmm. i mean i feel like what you're saying is that it's sort of selfish to want acceptance in a certain way but it's it seems selfish to want if you're gonna use that argument looking for any type of acceptance is selfish yeah so it's just some 
some types of of that some types of um longing for acceptance are more acceptable than others yeah in our society but i think it's a pretty unusual person that actually doesn't care what anyone else thinks the case so did you i guess moving on from verizon was there any other jobs that kind of like your makerspace what did mm. you think of that it's it's not makerspace what's it yeah called? it was it was a makerspace Ooh, what was the title of your your job the uh uh my my official position was dream consultant i love that title that, <laughs> that's like um i don't know just really classing it up yeah yeah i love that it is i was i would i mean wait what did you do there sorry for people who don't know oh well it's i mean i guess a makerspace in general i don't, I don't know if that's a a, a well-known concept these days or not but a maker a makerspace is a space that provides tools and equipment to um do it, it's sort of a provides everything you need like a fabrication shop a, kind D, of like a diy experience mm-hmm. like people who are inventing people who are maybe like doing a side hustle where they need 3d printers cnc routers stuff like that right? a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs there a lot of people trying to start their own businesses come up with the next big thing um but like, like the ear auger yeah like the uh, uh what was it was that was that what it's called i, I don't know you, you told me that and some my memory only remembers stuff that's not uh, valuable. Yeah, I was I was involved in a uh, in a project to make a corkscrew Q-tip that would uh, extract wax from your ear. I did some I did some three D files. I never saw any uh, any sort of commission off the, <laughs> the deal. I was paid for the the files that I generated. But um, to go back to a, a makerspace, it's it's essential. We at this makerspace, we had a wood shop, we had a metal shop, uh, we had welding equipment, we had plastics fabrication equipment, injection molding, um, we had software, 3D modeling software, all of that stuff. And so people would pay a monthly fee and get access to the equipment and, you know, hopefully build whatever that dream project um, they had in mind was. But... We were pretty close to DC, so there're going to be a lot of people in DC that have that don't have space for a table saw or you know, a whole wood shop. And so this space was designed for people like that who still wanted to do projects where they would need that kind of space. The drawback which you know, I I think even to an outsider it would it would occur to them that people don't have the same ownership for a community workspace you know it it's it's sort of the um i don't know what it's called the the broken the broken window theory like you go into a neighborhood and you see a car with a broken window and you think you know what's another broken window so you have a shop and it starts to get dirty People don't clean up after themselves. They say, "Oh, well, you know, there's already, you know, sawdust on the floor. There was already metal shavings on the floor." And so, part of my job was to clean up after people, which was not great. But 
it, it was it was a cool experience. You you get to see some really smart people doing what they're really good at and and that's inventing things, whether it was some sort of app or software or um you know, whether it's just fur- some sort of furniture. Mm-hmm. So it was a cool it was a cool concept, but you know, early on a a keen observer would have probably noted that there were some things that didn't seem quite right, you know. Um people working really long hours, not getting paid that well, you know, having to clean up after people in the shop and, you know, being asked to clean up after people in the bathroom and being asked to do you know, building maintenance, you know, I mean, like as a dream consultant, we were essentially being that we were problem solve hired to be problem solvers, they didn't have any problem with having us do every It was more like a catch all yeah, daycare situation. And where... I mean I, I think that's that's probably in in small businesses, that's that's I'm sure very common. You know, you're not going to hire a cleaning staff for a, you know, a, a operation that's yeah. only five people. Or maybe you would, I don't know. But um, it, it, there was just a sort of, I had a feeling that something was, you know, this, the business itself might not be viable long term. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, it was classic case of, you know, people at the top of the company siphoning money and misappropriating funds. And the the really sad thing was we had um, what were called uh, lifetime members. And so these people paid a, a, a much bigger one-time, you know, yeah. they paid a pretty yeah, yeah. large one-time fee. And then... Because originally the way that the the business was designed was there would be locations all over the United States. You would be able to access all these places. You'd access, you know, training and, you know, travel anywhere and use your lifetime membership. And it was a one-time fee, good for, you know, you would never have to renew it. And when the business went under, all those people lost that money, you know? And yeah. that, that's just sad yeah it really is because you never think of like that actually ever happening like when you buy a lifetime membership that basically the universe that you bought this lifetime membership is going to go kaput it's like if blockbuster had ever done something like that or circuit city or right i can't even think of anything well it's just just like there was um we we live pretty close to each other there is a some sort of fitness center where Aldi is mm-hmm. and people had memberships and they literally like came in at night. Oh, you told me about this. Took all the fitness equipment out, like just so they wouldn't lose. Oh yeah. Sell the, it for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they wouldn't lose the, the people, the, the paying memberships or at least to me, that's a, maybe a cynical take on it, but. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if that's what they were doing. But if you tell people, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're thinking about closing this brand, of course, everyone's going to 
you know, be like, well, cancel my membership. So instead, they just come in in the middle of the night, take out all the equipment, and then, uh, you know, one of my neighbors showed up to the to the gym to work out, and and all the equipment was gone. The place was shut down. So, well, the sad thing is, the people who don't even go to the gym are probably still paying the membership fees, even though there's no equipment in the uh, actual place. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> right. Some people, some people are gonna like. They paid six months and then they they come and they figure out. Yeah. Hey, by the way, there's not, on New no equipment anymore. On <laughs> yeah, New, on New Year's, Year's yeah. going to show up. Resolution. Yeah. That's funny. So, over all your jobs, what kind of what's what's the three biggest things that you've kind of learned, kind of on an overall aspect, not technical, but more. Well, I did not. I didn't. Leadership has never been my thing. I've never wanted to be in charge of people. I've never really wanted to be responsible for telling people what to do. If I'm working in a team with people, I want to be working with people that already want to work, you know? And I know that I know that someone who's a expert leader or who's made a career out of leadership would would say that even when you're working with people who want to work, there still needs to be leadership. But, um, you know, just just because of the, the types of projects that I've done, the fact that um, a lot of it's been fabrication, um, building something by hand or with machine that requires lots of moving parts in terms of, you know, human activity, human moving parts rather than the moving parts of whatever you're building. But because I've done a lot of work where there are all these moving parts, I have started to get a better understanding of the necessity of leadership and develop some of those, some of my own skills in in that regard. So part of that is just having worked for having a lot of work experience at this point and I say a lot I'm mm. sure someone who's 60 or 75 would laugh well how many how many jobs have you had I, I should have pitched that at the uh, beginning oh the show. ballpark I know you've had a lot of jobs well I've done I've done some contract work which you could you know you could consider those individual jobs I guess depending on how long they were I worked I did a couple other contract jobs with the Smithsonian, a couple weeks to a month, a lot of times, you know, 12 or 14 hour days, uh, Verizon worked at a antique vehicle restoration shop, auto garage. Um, I'd say I've worked probably at least 15 to 20 different, different jobs. So you've seen different structures. You've seen different hierarchies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Verizon was the was prop. Verizon and the Smithsonian were probably the biggest bureaucracies that I've worked for. I've worked for a lot of small companies, and you know, unfortunately, one of the commonalities between a lot of these places is they're just not run well. You know, it's it's difficult to find. I think it's just difficult to find 
someone who's really talented at leading people and and you know be able to offer them enough to work at some small business you know you just have to get lucky so it that's just the way it is and and it's probably a problem everywhere good good leadership is hard to find yeah i definitely agree with that because it's it's like finding good people too you've got to find skilled people but they also have to be like as you know like competent people like people themselves like yeah being on time being just normal like common sense that's the word i'm looking for common sense and skilled people right which i in my opinion it's it's just hard to find people like that and when you do find people like that it's hard to keep them in a place where that's not like the uh, common denominator right well i mean you and so you're asking you're asking about um uh what i've what i've learned and so i mean i think going back to that you just you have to learn how to work work with people you know i mean when you're doing these contract jobs and you're going from job to job you have to quickly try to find a way to fit in and do it without stepping on people's toes which admittedly i have not always done a good job at but changing jobs helps to um help has helped me to realize the importance of trying to integrate into a system and try to you know try to make things you gotta try to make things work together and once again i don't know if it's a chick you know it's it's the chicken or the egg sort of scenario i don't know if i've learned problem solving from all these jobs that i've worked or if i've been drawn to the the particular jobs because i already have problem solving skills but the more jobs you work the more different scenarios you're faced with you realize that problem solving is applicable in general to you know to lots of 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 different things even even stuff outside of out of outside of work you know so yeah i'd say i'd say those were the and you you've watched house before i don't need oh yeah i love house i'd never make the comparison that with all these different jobs that maybe you obviously this isn't the main reason but maybe you get bored And maybe the reason you liked Verizon so much besides the cold was the fact that every job was different. You know what I mean? Like you weren't going to work because I think you'd hate factory work. Yeah. Is that kind of, I I know your last job when you were working the concrete place that they were working different jobs. So that probably was completely fine with you because they had different stuff. But Mm. was there anything repetitive that kind of threw you off that you didn't want to do? Well, the the funny thing is, I was operating this this six axis robot there. That was, I guess, that was what. That's what I was building to. I think that was the. It was going to take over your position, right? Well, that was the trajectory that they had. I think. I think they always had in mind that they wanted to get their own fabrication equipment because uh, a lot of what they do, you need precision molds to Mm -hmm. you know to generate a good end product and i think they're trying to find a way to do that more efficiently and so 
they were looking at some sort of equipment that could help them to do that. And I think they probably saw me as someone who had that experience who could take on that role. Mm-hmm. But the the novelty of the six axis machine, which was which was cool. I mean, it took a little figuring out, but it it didn't take me long to realize that the six axis machine is not a whole lot different from the three axis machine. And as soon as I realized that, it felt repetitive because all of a sudden, you know, I've I've worked with CNC equipment for probably ten years now. And all of a sudden, this thing that was novel now becomes just another version of the thing that I've been doing for the last 10 years that I've slowly, you know, been trying to get away from. Mm -hmm. And so the feeling that I was going to get drawn back into that was, you know, I I had to get out of there. So it's just so funny how it it compares to the show house that like, as soon as he's done, fi- you know how every episode ironically is the same yeah. where the whole episode, he's basically trying to figure it out. And like, as soon as he gets that aha moment, it's just like, I don't care about this right, whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's kind of like you or you're just like, okay, my brain is not going to be stimulated anymore. Like I understand all this, right? which, yeah. which, which I love ironically. No, you're right. Just because you're right. I, That's a good comparison. I'm out. Like yeah. my brain's not stimulated anymore. I'm doing this to enjoy it. You know what I mean? Right. It seems like your number one drive is brain stimulation and enrichment rather than yeah. money, which is should be what most people do. Right. But well, not everyone wants to be insurance claims adjust. You know, like yeah, yeah. There's there's got to be some sort of balance, and that's that's something I'm trying to figure out is what is the it. I'm I, I guess I'm an a, a idealist in a sense that I I believe that. I can find this mythical job that provides all the stimulation and all the freedom without the stuff that nobody likes. But I think that's what keeps me going from job to job is is somewhere in the back of my mind I believe that that job does exist. It's like chasing the or look searching for the the pot of gold, you know. Well, it's funny, and I hate to circle back to this, but it's just like Josh from uh, high school. You're still looking for that intent, like that video game designer. Yeah, you yeah. don't want to have to do the crap work. You want to do like the fun parts of it, right? And it's right. like you've never given that up, which is not a bad thing. It's like you're still looking for the magic. Keep it going, like not lost your childhood yeah. all, right? Which, which I think is amazing. With all these different jobs, you're just still still chugging that. Right. Well, <laughs> it's so funny that you said that that story at the beginning because it's exactly like what you're doing now. Yeah, like, yeah. Like and I mean, probably on probably on some level, when I got that letter and it said, "Well, you know, there's a lot of other difficult stuff that goes into this." I was like, "Okay, well, I had my fun. You know, next next thing." Yeah. Um, That's really funny. Uh, so let me go to my boring questions. Where do you see yourself in like five years? <laughs> it's funny that you ask that because I just picked up a a book. I think it's called Designing Your Life, which is a really boring and like unoriginal sounding title. But the the premise is that these guys who are designers um, 
there's a they had a pretty standard process that would allow them to go from you know idea to prototyping a thing to putting a thing into production a lot like a lot like what people were doing at the place that I worked um the makerspace that I worked mm-hmm. um and so they try to apply that same way of thinking that same logic that same strategy to figuring out what you want to do as a career and so you go through a stage where you're sort of sketching things out um you go through a stage where you propose you know a a few prototypes of a few different prototypes so the prototypes would be um i want to be a forklift operator or I could also see myself being a machinist or I could also see myself working in a laboratory. And so you take those, those are your prototypes and you sort of flesh them out. Like, what would that look like? How much money would I be making? How much would I have to make to want to do that job? Where would I live? So that's one prototype. And then this job, you know, this other job, where would I live? you know how how would i see that playing out do i have the necessary skills so there's your second prototype and then you you sort of do that you generate these prototypes and then you you try to find a way to act them you know to act them out so maybe that's you know visiting somebody that does the job maybe if it's like if it's something like stand up comedy maybe you go and try to do a couple stand up comedy shows you you actually t- try to test it out before you just dive into it and so the basically the whole principle is that you're going to apply this strategy for designing a product to you know designing your life or finding your career i feel like i just pitched their like their book. i wrote the book and i i pitched it well you could it could be your pen name but um yeah so it, it's interesting that you asked that because i'm in the process of being in the process using the strategy right in the process of being in the process but i'm using this i'm i'm trying to use the strategy that they outlined to maybe sort of rein some of this you know job switching in a little bit so we'll see because not to pump you up or anything but you've got so much experience that i could definitely see you starting your own thing like your yeah. own company like you the thing is like you've got i would say maybe there's like two things that you might not have i mean obviously i don't know what those are but mm. those are the things you would learn like putting like your own company together right because you definitely have like all the know-how of fabrication what works what doesn't work mm. and maybe even what the market's like well so it's funny because i'm reading two books and the other one is <laughs> about why small businesses fail um and so yeah that's that's something that i'm that i'm always thinking about and Maybe I'm not thinking about a small business in the traditional sense. Um, I'm just thinking about how can I do my own thing and get paid to do it and not fail. At, <laughs> I think that's <laughs> at like the, that. the headline on uh, Ellis Island. Like when <laughs> they first come in, how do I do something that I like to do but get paid good money to do? You know what I mean? Like that's and not fail. That's like the meaning of life, right? Right, right. But the the really the thing that I've that I've found sort of fascinating is that 
this book about why small businesses fail. Have almost every place that I've have worked outside of the the bigger places like Verizon and the Smithsonian, all most of the the smaller businesses have not checked any of the boxes that this author outlines. You know, um, so it's interest. It's interesting to look at some of the places I've worked from the perspective of this author because almost all of those places are essentially businesses that are going to fail mm-hmm. uh, or are failing. Yeah. They're in a, they're in a, a state where they're not going to grow yeah. and they potentially are going to, could go out of business, you know, yeah. they're, they're much more likely to go out of business than they are to grow. To expand. Yeah. yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. So my last question before the lightning round, what is something that your parents did that you're thankful for? And what's something that you would have changed? (laughs) Um, well, the, the thing that I'm thankful for is maybe also the thing that I would change. Um, my parents were, they weren't really in terms of career since we're talking a lot about work experience in terms of career they weren't the type of parents that were trying to to push me in any particular direction it was always figure out what you like and try to do well at that there was there was at one time a bit of a a push to well a bit of a push I got into the University of Virginia I went there didn't particularly like it and I remember having a conversation with my parents like I don't think I don't think college is for me and they weren't they weren't having that (laughs) they weren't they weren't about to to let me come home so they did they did sort of in you know enforce their will in that situation but outside of that they never really had any you know some the classic situation where someone says you're going to be a doctor or you're going to be a lawyer or you're going to be an engineer like you're gonna you're gonna do something that makes money or i'm not sending you to college or i'm not supporting you or you know just you're gonna get straight a's you're gonna all this stuff there was never any of that which i'm thankful for but if I look at my situation now, I think if they had, I think they knew me pretty well. And if they had the knowledge or the, um, they could have, they could have maybe pushed me in a direction based on my personality, you know, not just based on whatever their own, Mm -hmm. their own biases. They could have said, well, you know, you're this type of person. Focus on this. There could have been maybe more direction. Because I look at where I am now and how I drift from thing to thing. And I and I think to myself, well, maybe I needed a little more direction. But it also might just be a function of my personality, you know. Yeah. It, it, it's, it could just, that that's what I was destined to be 
regardless of whether if they pushed me I might have gone even further in the other direction so it it's maybe me looking for excuses mm-hmm. um for you know where I find myself and the the lack of resolution I see in the future but like I said I think I think that 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 the the fact that they didn't push me was a wonderful thing because I didn't feel that pressure but who knows on the other uh, side like the, yeah. you could have been like I don't know yeah something completely different but you could make that argument either way I guess. yeah 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 you you'll never know yeah so. okay yeah the lightning round sir all right so let's start what would you name your boat if you had one the epidermis <laughs> uh what would be on the gag reel of your life uh well <laughs> the 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 biggest thing that would be on the gag reel of my life and i apologize if this is going to be disgusting for some people but um when i was in third or fourth grade i was feeling sick in class I got up and asked my teacher if I could go to the bathroom. You know, of course she was like, oh, you know, my goodness, get out of here. Get, go, go use the bathroom. I ran to the bathroom and I, I had to throw up. <laughs> and I was looking at the urinal, just thinking to myself, like, uh, there's no way all this is gonna fit in the urinal. So <laughs> I ran over to the stall, I just flung the stall door open, I just started throwing up. And there was somebody <laughs> sitting on the toilet. So I just, I threw up in this guy's lap while he was, you know, doing his business. I mean, that's like... Could be worse. Could have been you made it to the women's bathroom. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's like the supreme gag on my reel, for sure. But When did you screw everything up, but no one ever found out it was you? Like when I screw up, generally people find out it's me. But or I, I mean, honestly, if I screw up a lot of times, I'll just tell people it was me. When have you felt the most challenged? The most challenged? Uh, pretty much every job that I've ever worked at once I decide that I want to quit and I'm still there. That's a good answer. What do you think happens when you die? I suppose there's an argument to be made that you never really die, you just change phase. Okay, like a plasma or something, like a gas to Yeah, it. You're, you. you're just transitioning into a different form. When you can't sleep, what keeps you up at night? The future, what's, what's next? The rapper or, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Who is your first friend and are they still in your life? Kurt Ellisted, or actually maybe it was my next door neighbor Troy. Neither one of them are in my life, but they were. They were the. Uh, they were probably the first two. What was the first movie you saw in theaters? I think I saw Pee Wee's Great Adventure in the movie theater. Okay. And I probably saw some sort of animated thing when I was. That makes sense. Younger, but you just, I, yeah, I, I can't, can't remember. I can't remember. What's your favorite holiday and why? Maybe Halloween, just because you don't have to do that much for Halloween. Yeah, that makes 
not a not a big not a big holidays guy. What was your AIM screen name? Rauf Ahmad. (laughs) (laughs) What was your first concert? I think it was The Roots. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. What's your favorite board game to play? I hate board games. I hate board games and I hate card games. We'll make that your response. None of them. What was the last romantic relationship like? Unpleasant. (laughs) We'll leave it like that. (laughs) Who always makes you laugh? Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle. What's the best museum you've ever been to? Uh, The Mutter Museum in Philadelphia. Hmm. Is that like art? It is uh, like an oddities, human oddities (laughs) museum. It's, It's like... Uh, walls and walls of jars with tumors and like severed noses and ears and uh, like a, a full-size cast of conjoined twins, all sorts of. I gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not type deal. Yeah. But on the next level. It's, it's wild. What's a bad habit you're trying to break? It's probably a little. Uh, bit serious for the uh, lightning round, but just negative thinking patterns, you know, trying to keep things... There's nothing wrong with being Keep things positive. Yeah. yeah. What's the most useless talent you have? I would say my most useless talent is the ability to see an object and know if it will fit inside of another object. So, like... If there's a ping pong ball and a shot glass. Really good. Uh, but yeah, thanks for coming over. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. And I mean, it's like, fun. the best thing is we did it early. If you like this week's episode of People More Interesting Than Me, please subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to share with family and friends. See you next time.